last week titled, He Came With. And last week we talked about, He Came With Forgiveness. This week we continue that series, and we will for several weeks going forward. He came, this week is, He Came With Joy. Everybody say joy. joy. He came with joy. Does anybody in here not like joy? I'm not talking about the person. I'm not talking about a person. I'm talking about joy, that emotion. Does anybody not like joy? How many love joy? How many want to be joyful? Now, I don't want to see a show of hands, but how many, might, how many feel like you're not joyful? Don't show me your hand. I'm not looking. I don't want to see it. There's probably some under the sound of my voice, if not in this room, watching online, that don't feel joyful. They don't feel like they found that place. I really believe that today, Holy Spirit's going to show us a path on how uh, to, to find that place where joy is present, where you can attain uh, what it is that He promised for you and for me. And I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to, even though I love to minister and what have you, I'm actually looking forward to the end because I know in the end you're going to see it. By the time we get to the conclusion of this, I really believe you're going to see it. You're going to understand this is the way. And this is how I can do this. And you're going to walk out of here with a path set for you to be able to engage the joy that He has afforded or made available uh, to you and to me. So I want to begin today with this point. He has a plan for you. First of all, say this. He came came. with joy. joy. Now I want you to say this to your neighbor. He He has a plan plan. for you. you. I'll say it again. Say, he has a plan for you. Let's clarify the he because I don't want the he to be misunderstood. Say this. Say, God has a plan. Man, I want full joy, don't you? I want full joy. I don't want to just go, <laughs> I want to go, ha! <laughs> I want to get right into that thing, man. I want to know, man, that thing is delightful. I am delighted in that because he delights in that, so I delight in that. He has a plan. He has a plan that no matter what, where we walk in life, no matter where we are in life, even at this very moment, I'm going to keep leaning on this prop until I get to it. But he has a plan for you and me. There's, some, there's somewhere he wants us to go. And in that place of joyfulness, he wants us to see it. And he wants us, as I referred to King David earlier today, I refer to him again now. He wants us to find that joy where when you see the work of God in your life, in the magnificent ways that he has moved on your behalf, that you can't help, whether physically or subconsciously, you cannot help but dance in the streets. You cannot help but do what several of you just did and throw that hand up in the air and recognize, man, he really is a great God. He really does fill me with joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's a song. How many know that old song from a long time ago? Joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. There is joy unspeakable and full of glory and the half has never yet been told how many knew that song (laughs) thank you four people (laughs) well it's 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 an old one I I I think uh, it was written around the time Gaston was a child and (laughs) 
But great words, there is joy unspeakable and full of glory. He is joy unspeakable. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy unspeakable, full of glory. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. So much so that even half of it has never yet been told, but we're caught up in the magnificence of the moment, the joy that He came with. I'm going to tell you today, and what I want you to understand by the time we get to the conclusion of this, we need to see the end from the beginning right now. You need to see what the end is from the beginning. Don't worry about the beginning. What I want you to know is there's an end. There's an end point. There's an end to this journey where you enter into. If in the beginning you're in grief or you're in sorrow or you're in weariness or you're in whatever, you're disconnected from joy, I want you to know that in the end, that doesn't have to be your story. In the end, that doesn't have to be your chapter or your book or your promise. But in the end, you can path, you can choose to walk through that. doesn't matter what the beginning is, but when I get to the end, it is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the half, and the half, not even half, not even a part, has ever yet been told. But I want to tell it. Look at your neighbor again and say, God has a plan for you. And because you're watching online and you don't have a neighbor right now, I'm going to say to you, God has a plan for you. He has a plan for you. And everything that he's saying in this room right now, he's saying to you wherever you might find yourself. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Psalm chapter 16. Psalm chapter 16. In Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, You make known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. And I love this. With eternal pleasures at your right hand or forevermore. Wow. Let's read it slow. In case you missed a good point. God, you make known to me the path of life. Let me read that a little differently. Yahweh, you hold nothing back from me. Yahweh, you are hiding nothing. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me. Hmm. Let's think about that word for a minute. You will fill me. You will fill me. Fill. You will fill me with joy. And then let's get this last part. Where? Where? In your presence. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I'm going to say this to you this morning and I want you to make a little note. Now, if you're following, you can't do it because you don't have the notes, but you can write something somewhere on your phone this morning. I want you to make this note. I want you to write this this morning. Trust his plan. Write it down. Trust His plan because He has a plan for you. 
Trust His plan even when it doesn't look like your plan. There is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, and the half has never yet been told. Let me say it again. Trust His plan even when it doesn't look like your plan. Now, I don't know. I'm certain, probably true, that every one of us in this room or that can hear me now, I'm pretty certain that all of us have been in a place at one point in our life, at one point in time, when we had this plan that was set and we were determined this is what it's going to be. This is what it's going to look like. Before I became a believer, before I was born again, before I began to walk with Christ and do that because it wasn't, nothing was forced on me by law, but when I came into my own personal relationship with Him and I recognized that He is God and there's not another and that His Son actually did come with salvation, He came with forgiveness and He actually forgave. Before I did that, when I graduated high school and I didn't really pay much mind to whether He had a plan for me or not, was, didn't even consider it, didn't think about it. But I graduated high school and all I wanted to be was a businessman. In fact, I wanted to be an architect. So I enrolled at 17 years old. I graduated at 17, and I went into uh, North Harris County College in Houston, Texas, and enrolled there to be an architect. And I get in there, and I go through the first almost two years of school, and I'm in there, and I'm just, that was my plan. I wanted to be an architect, and I wanted to learn. And I remember sitting in those classrooms because that was my plan. All, even as a child, I wanted to design. I still like design. I still enjoy it. That didn't change. My heart for design, my heart for doodling and drawing and thinking, okay, where, where would this room fit better? None of that's changed. I still like to move things around. Well, <laughs> those of you that know me know that. I like moving things around. I like shifting things. So I get into this classroom, and it was everything in me. I just knew I'm going to be an architect, and I'm not just going to be an architect. I'm going to be the best architect in Houston, Texas. I'm going to be good at it. I'm going to make a lot of money at it. And I'm going to design homes. Then I'm going to design buildings. I'm going to get industrial. I mean, I had these visions and dreams of what I was going to do as an architect because it, was, it made my heart beat, the thought of it. And then I get into my classrooms and I go in there and I sit down and the very first thing we had to do didn't have anything to do with drawing a building. Didn't have anything to do with saying, okay, this is what you're going to do. They gave us a list of little tools that we have to have and I still have them. I still have them. They're in my office right now. I have the big rule that I had to use. I even bought a draftsman's table way back then. Have my little pencil still. I still have my little pad with my little writing in there that I had to do. So I get into this class, and the first thing they did said, this is what you're going to need. But today what we're going to do is we're going to get those, and I forgot what you call them, but like an elementary school where you get the little pad and you're learning to write with the little lines. Come, not, uh, you know, the little book with the dotted line and the two, what do you call it? Workbook. Just a little workbook, you know, with a line so you learn how to write, print, the work, print, and you do it the right height and everything. It's been a long time, been a little while since I was in elementary school, just a couple of years. But we had to get one. And I thought, man, I'm in college. Why do I need this? But I got it. We come back to the next class, and he starts writing on the board, and he said, this is how you make the number one. This is how you make number two. I felt like I'm back in the third grade. How many have ever done those word things for architecture? Well, this is how I know. This is how I make a six. And I just make a six. And then suddenly, 
The teacher starts walking around the room, and he's looking at everybody's paper, and he said, wrong, 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 and no one got it right. And he said, you see how I did it on the board? That's exactly how it's going to be on your paper. I don't care what you learned in the third grade. If you're going to be an architect, you're going to do it so that no matter who reads the blueprint. See, back then, it wasn't digital like it is today. No matter who reads the blueprint, they know that that's a six. And they know that's an I. Or they know that's a T. Or they know that's a whatever. So until it looks like that, you don't get past this class. And then every week, we had to turn in a thousand words. Every week, our assignment, a thousand words, and he would tell us what they were, and we would write it. He would give us a book, and he would say, I want you to take that chapter, and I want you to write, and I want you to print that out. And I hated it. Oh, my gosh, I hated it. I thought, maybe architecture isn't the thing for me, because this is a whole lot of printing. And I would write that thing out. But my plan was, that's what I wanted to be. Then something happened. I got saved. I walked into that church and came to know Christ, repented. He forgave me. And it was kind of a serendipitous way to get to where I am today because this whole architecture thing was there and then I get saved and then suddenly I want to do everything right. So I want to help the cause of what's righteous and right. So now I don't want to be an architect anymore. Now I want to be a vice cop. So I changed my major to criminal justice. Even though I still love design. I'm going to get through this quick. And I did the criminal justice courses for another couple semesters. But in order to become, in order to move forward in that, we had to work in the state prison in Texas. You had to work in the state prison for one year in order to get to your second year of criminal justice courses. So I went to Huntsville State Prison and I signed up to work there as an apprentice. And we go in there, and I walk in, and, and I'm with probably 20 other people in and, and, and the same class, same school. We go in there, and they're walking us, the guard, the, the whatever he was, warden, whoever he was, I don't remember. But he's walking us down the hallways. He said, these are some of the things that you're going to be doing. Here's the inmate, and he's introducing us. We're walking down this. This is a maximum security prison in Huntsville, State, Huntsville Texas. And we're walking down. the. I'd never been in a prison, never had any intention of being in a prison. That was not any goal that I ever had in my life. And we're walking down the aisles, and he's introducing us to all these inmates. And over here, there's this guy, and over here, this is Johnny, and he's in here for triple murder, and this guy's in here for... And all, in my mind, I'm hearing, this has nothing to do with architecture, and this isn't anything that I want to do. And I'm running all this through my mind. By the time we got to the end, we walked out the end of... We finished that tour at the end of the day. When he said, I'll see you guys back here at 8 o'clock in the morning, and everybody was hired, everybody got the job, I walked out of that prison. I've never been in a prison since. I never went back. Sometimes to find, there was no joy in prison work for Steve. I didn't want to get in because I broke the law, and I didn't want to get in to keep the law. I wanted to stay out because I kept the law. But my plans begin to shift, and I, when I got saved, as I begin to realize what Holy Spirit was beginning to do with my life, even though my mind always went back to architecture, and that's still a part of me today, still very much a part. Design and all of that is still very, very much a part of how I see things and put things together. But I have to trust His plan. And when He began to move in me, and I began to realize, you know what, Father, 
I know what I want. But trying to get what I want sure is frustrating me. In fact, it's wearing me out. I'm losing my joy trying to fulfill my plan. So instead of trusting my plan, because your plan doesn't look like my plan, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to tell you a secret about knowing the plan of God for your life. You ready for this? You can write this down. God's plan for you is almost always the path of least resistance. Too many times we're trying to bang down doors and make the miraculous happen so that we can supposedly get to God's plan for our life. And in truth, the Father's saying, you're knocking down doors. I, I long ago removed the doors to what you're born to be. You're not trying to become what you're born to be, son. You're trying to become what you think you were born to be. But I have something for you, and my path is the one of least resistance. And I remember when my wife and I were coming here, when we were coming to Florida and we were or coming to Central Florida and we were getting ready to start the Rock of Central Florida and pioneer it. And, and I remember the struggle, uh, the different places that we had visited and just the conflict that was in us. And I remember going to my spiritual father, who's a visionary, uh, Nolan Ball, going to him and telling him I just have so much conflict. And I remember him saying, Steve, you keep moving. And when you run into a wall, you find a different path and keep going until there is no wall. And what he was saying then is what I'm saying today. Find the path of least resistance because that's where the Father is going to take you. Now see, in our religious mind, in our lawful, our mind of, that operates in the law, we often try to assimilate that the harder it is, the more it must be God. Because he's really trying to grow us, mature us, toughen us up, give us a thicker skin. So somehow we get to that place, well, the harder it is, it must really be God. But I want to tell you, throughout Scripture, you will find again and again and again that the Father said, why do you kick against the goads? Why do you make what should be easy so difficult? Say this with me again this morning. Say, God has a plan for me. Said, you make known to me the path of life and you fill me with joy in your presence. So what happened was when I got to the place where I had accepted what the Father had called me to and I began to see His plan not, as, not separate from my plan, but I merged what I wanted to do with what He wanted to do and it has been miraculous all the ways. I, you asked my wife how I have been able to merge what was in me from the beginning, architecture and design, into all that the Father has done. It just doesn't look like I thought it was going to look. It looks better! It's not just good, it's now great. And the joy, the joy that I, when I come, you've heard me say this before, I won't dwell on it, but when I get up every day and I think about preparing myself to hear what He wants to release to you, I have not, since I entered into ministry, there has not been a single day I've ever gotten up and say, man, I wish I didn't have to do this. 
But every day my joy is complete and my joy is full in Him. Because when Christ came, He came with joy and He said, I want you to be full of knowing that you are doing exactly what you were created to do. Everybody say, He came with joy. Secondly, He is an example for you and me. Say this, He is an example. That's Christ for you and me. Turn to Hebrews, please, chapter 12, if you would, this morning. Very familiar scripture I want to read to you today and show you something really cool about this, and then we're going to do a little demonstration. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, keep this in mind before I read any further. Miss Judy, I just love this. We look around this room right now. Consider this. You are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. People who have gone before you, those who have gone before you, you know what, answer that and then ask them why they're not here. <laughs> no, you're all right. You are, no, you're fine. When you think about, when you think about everything that the Father has for you, everything that the Father wants to do for you, all that He wants to speak in you, think about. Don't think about it from the perspective, I have to figure this out on my own. Because there is a great cloud of witnesses, Tim, that have gone before you. And then he says this, since we are surrounded, since we are, not maybe, we are, we are. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Let's lay these things aside. Let's stop fooling around with this stuff. And let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us. And then I really want you to emphasize this. Looking to Jesus Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Go back a little bit. Who, consider Christ, who for the joy, everybody say for the joy, that was set before him, endured the cross. Now, this looks and seems a little contrary to point one. But when you consider everything that Christ had to go through, he never considered any of that weight. He didn't consider the cross weight. He didn't consider the walk down the Via Dolorosa weight. He didn't consider the ripping of his beard weight. He didn't consider the spear in his side weight. He didn't consider a crown of thorns on his head weight. He didn't consider the embarrassment and the scorn and the shame that he listened to as he walked down the road. The people threw at him. He didn't consider that as weight. What he considered was, I consider the joy that is set for, I know where this is leading. And I'm going to lay hold of this thing. I want to encourage you this morning to do this, to recognize those witnesses who can testify it can be done. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but if you don't have joy today, I want to tell you that there is joy waiting for you. And I want you to consider the witnesses who have gone before you. And I can tell you joy is there for you to lay hold of. I had a really cool thing when I was coming up in ministry and I was up in Panama City before we came here and Nolan Ball, who is a visionary, um, we used to call him apostle and at one time he was pastor and, and then none of that is true. He's not any of that. He's, he's so many different things at different times. He's simply visionary. I just like the word visionary. I'll never call him apostle Ball again because he's not. He is a visionary. 
And I loved so much that he was such a visionary that when I was growing up in his house, when I say growing up, I was learning about ministry in his, in, in his house and that church. And, and I want to tell you something that was really cool. See, I didn't like being there. Isn't that cool? I didn't like being there because, one, I hated Panama City because I, when I got to Panama City, Florida, I thought this is the dirtiest nastiest smells like raw fish and the only thing good about this city is the emerald green beaches uh, what is it yeah it smelled like it smelled like fish too though it smelled like a paper mill but you know he used to say about that paper mill when we would say man it stinks this morning and he would say smells like money smells like food on the table to most people sitting in this town it stinks to you because you don't depend on that pulp. But people that are gathering around their tables tonight, it smells like steak. It smells like salad. It smells like sweet tea on a hot summer afternoon. But I'm growing up in there and I'm growing up in ministry there and I'm listening to him and I, oh, I just, I'm telling you, I just, I, there was a great cloud of witnesses that had gone before me and, and there were a lot, of test, a lot of moments in that house and that ministry in that time. First of all, I thought he hated me for a long time. In fact, I was certain of it, and I never did anything right. It didn't matter what I did, it was never right. And I remember one day I was in there, and I was doing this, and I was, I was sweeping the floor because I was one of the guys that was in charge of, you know, part of learning to minister and, and to lead people. I don't know how this thing works, but part of ministering and leading people is cleaning toilets and sweeping floors. So I'm in the auditorium one day, and I'm just sweeping like this here, and I'm sweeping, and, and I'm sweeping, and I'm going through the road. Listen, I've been using a vacuum. At that point, I'm 27 years old, and all 27, most of those 27 years, I had used a vacuum at least once in every year, at least. So I felt pretty proficient at vacuuming. And I'm out there, and I'm not even thinking about it, because when we do something over and over again, when we have a mindset that never changes... And we do it over and over again. We somehow come to the conclusion that we just believe it's right. Well, what if it isn't? So I'm out there and I'm vacuuming one day. And I'm, man, I'm just getting with it. And I'm going to town woo, between the rows and the chairs and the, and the cord, you know. And I'm moving the cord around and trying not to get the cord in my way. And, and all of a sudden, I hear this loud, deep voice in the background across the auditorium. Steve! <laughs> Vacuums. <laughs> Steve! Turn that thing off! I thought, oh, man, what have I done? I turned the vacuum off and he said, don't vacuum until you know how to vacuum properly. And this is exactly what I did. Because I was pretty certain I knew how to vacuum. In fact, I was pretty certain I was getting stuff off the floor. And he came over and he said, I'm going to show you how to vacuum correctly. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm just being honest, I'm thinking to myself, you have lost your mind. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me that you're as old as Moses <laughs> and that you have vacuumed a thousand floors before me. What matters is you have absolutely lost your mind. Does it really matter how I vacuum this floor? I mean, really, this is what's doing the work. I'm just telling it where to go. So I step aside, he gets up to that vacuum, and he goes like this, and he takes that cord. Now, keep, I'm not really 
paying much attention to what he's doing with the cord. I'm just watching him, and he stands up there, and he does this, and he puts that thing down, and he starts vacuuming away. And he said, you see what I'm doing? <laughs> vacuuming? <laughs> no, did you see what I did? No, sir. Look where the cord is. And I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> he said, it's not in my way. Every time you'd take a step, you're half tripping over that. Every time you'd go around this aisle to get to the next aisle, you're tripping over the cord. He said, I can go anywhere I want to, and I'm never tripping over the cord. I'm dragging it. I'm not flipping the cord, trying to get it out of the way. It's always behind me. The cord's following me. I'm not following the cord. I don't, the cord doesn't tell me where to go. I tell the cord where to go. You know what I don't do ever again? I've never again, except for that demonstration I did a moment ago, I've never vacuumed again like this. Why? Because I learned something that day. Even though I believed in my path, in my way of doing things, in my, all the years I'd used a vacuum, really, honestly, I was really glad when they came out with cordless vacuums because what can you argue? <laughs> but in all those years, I knew I knew, man, I, what can you learn about vacuuming a floor? What lesson does, what kingdom point can there be about vacuuming a floor? And I had to learn something that day. Even when I think I know everything, I can't get to the end result as well and have peace in it if I don't have a teachable spirit. And no matter what I think I know, see, one of the things you'll find in, in most young adults is you'll find that when you try to talk to a young adult, especially older people, we, we come to the place, I don't know what age it happens, but at some age we get to the place where it's like, teach me. And we just, we're like, just teach me. I, I, I don't know how I, when I got here, but I realized that suddenly I don't know everything. Teach me. Anybody you ever meet that thinks they're the smartest person in the room or they knows everything, they still haven't grown up. They haven't lived life enough yet. But as long as we have that teachable spirit, we can learn something. But you, you, when you're dealing with uh, the younger generation today, and you're, you're move, they, they, in their mind they think, oh, I've done that ten times, I've done that a hundred times, I've done that five, I did it with this person, I did it with that person. I went to college to learn that. Well, guess what? There might be a, just listen to me for just a second. Just hear what I have to say for just a moment because I, I might actually have a way. Technology's changed. Something has changed. Or maybe through my trial and error, maybe this witness that has gone before you has witnessed something in a completely different way that can actually help make this thing delightful for you. So what has been frustrating can now, you can find joy in it. What has been hard. You can find joy in That was never hard. Vacuuming was never hard, and that's simply an example. But what things have we done in our life that we've made difficult and challenging, and, and we could not find the joy in it, and then someone comes along and they say, do it like this, and we're just, I know how to do it. I don't need you to tell me how to do it. But had we listened, had we had a teachable spirit. See, before Christ came, mankind thought, all of man, anyone who wanted to know God, thought that the best way to know God was to rip the head off a couple pigeons. Anyone who wanted to... No, God thought, let me just get this old fat heifer over here and take it down to the altar and let them slay that thing and pour the blood on the altar. That's what they thought. 
And then Christ came in and he said, let me show you a different way. Let me show you something different. See, everyone knows that it's not joyful to slaughter a bird or kill a cow. There's no joy in that. Not, maybe for some, we're going to pray for you at the conclusion today. There's no joy in that. But then when Christ came and he said, let me show you something. I'm going to give you a better way. Just like the woman at the well. This is where you worship. But let me tell you what true worshipers do. They worship the Father in spirit and truth. They don't worship the Father because they abide by all these laws. They worship the Father because they know him. And he said, I want, your, I, want to, I want to bring you into a place of joy. I want to get you past trying to do it all the way that you've known to do it. And I just want to simply speak to you and show you a better way. I want you to have a teachable spirit today. Do you hear me this morning? He, Christ is the example. Recognize those witnesses who can testify that it can be done. This week, not all week, but we left late Wednesday night about 9 o'clock, me and some guys here. If you know me, you know that I love to camp, and I don't just camp. We don't just go camping ever. That's just easy camping. But we camp in, in primitive wilderness. We, we literally hike into the wilderness with a 40 to 50-pound pack on our back, and we go in, and it's primitive. I mean, it's, it's primitive. It's on these trails that go. Just like the kingdom, to me, camping is very indicative of what the kingdom of God is for me. I like to go into the unknown. The unknown just intrigues me. My joy is full in the unknown. I, I go into that place. Okay, no one has done this. I've not been there. Let me go to that place. So I've, I invited some guys to go with me uh, to go camping. Some of them have been with me numerous times. A couple, uh, this was their first or maybe only their second time that they've gone. And we went into where I like to go, and that's the Cahutta Wilderness up in North Georgia. And we packed our bags and our backpacks and we got everything together that we thought we were going to need and knowing that there were some weather conditions that were there and some things that had changed we were sorting things out well the trail we were originally going to use was closed off who knows why we don't know why um, so we ended up using a different going to a different trail and when we get there to this trail when you look at the opening of this trail it just looks like this this um it just looks like a trail. It looks like, okay, anybody can do this. This is no big deal. Until you get in a little ways, and then we discovered that there were some challenges along the way. And I'm going to ask these guys to very quickly, each one of them, just share a specific point about a difficulty that they had on this trail or a moment that was hard, but still seeing the joy that was set before them. In other words, getting to that campsite, was it worth going through this difficult moment? And I'm going to ask them to come because I want to hear from them. So guys, whoever wants to come first, come. I want you to share this point. I want, listen, hear what they're saying this morning. Hear what each one is saying because it's important. This is Marshall. I'll go first. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> Well, uh, he didn't specify exactly what we were all going through, but one of the most challenging parts was the river was very high. We had 18 river crossings the first day. It was about 50 degrees out. The water was 42 degrees. But not only was the, was the weather a challenge, but the water was a challenge. So we had to come together, be companions, link arms to cross this river that was about waist-deep, rushing water. So we had to join together, find the joy and companionship and... That's right. Getting together and toughing it out together. That's right. Excellent. Perfect. Perfect. 
I cut in line. Uh, so for me, I would also say the water crossings were the hardest part. In my head, when he told me we've got water crossings, I thought, you know, like maybe knee deep and, you know, it'd be, it wouldn't be too bad, but it was. It was like waist deep, the water's going all quick. And I brought these water shoes that I didn't show anybody before I left because I thought these are great. You know, They were house slippers. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they were like rubber socks, you know. So. I have these, these rubber socks on, and I'm trying to go through these loose rocks, and I'm kicking them. I split my toenail, all these things. And then, and then when you get out of the water, there's another one not very long after. So you don't take your bag off, put your boots back on. You just hike in these water shoes. <laughs> these were not hiking shoes. So <laughs> all the while, like, I feel just everything through the shoes and my feet are hurting. But there was still joint because I knew what we were going to get to. I knew that the camping in the end, I love doing that. I've never done such a strenuous hike, but I've camped outside, and I love that, and I love all the guys that I was with, and I knew we were going to have a great time, so I knew just keep walking. Even though your feet are breaking, you just make it, you know? And then it ended up being one of the best camping trips ever. Awesome, awesome. Um, so the, really the thing that... If y'all know me, I'm very active. Um, I like, you know, so it takes a lot for me to really get like warm. Moment where we're hiking, I got like this. My bag is like totally off balance. On top of being heavy, it's off balance, right? So we're going under trees. There's parts where we gotta literally get on our knees and like. your energy so around like well like five or six miles in I'm thinking like oh my gosh <laughs> right but the awesome thing in it was that what I knew is that I had at that moment to make a choice am I gonna stay kind of in this mindset of being like tired or am I just gonna push through because I knew at the end of it it was gonna be fun it was gonna be laughter we we're gonna be at that campfire I couldn't see it but I also knew that everybody else was making the cognitive choice there were some moments when we were camping, um, when we were hiking, where we were just silent. But I knew that was because at that point, if someone said something, it was going to be negative, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it was cool, though, because no one, no one made that choice to say something negative. Every, it, like, every time there was something, uh, it was Marshall. Marshall was cracking me up. I called Mar Marshall the tree dragger because he was just start, he started running through, like, brush and stuff. But... Um, <laughs> He would get to water, he'd be like, woo, let's go, because our legs were getting scratched up. So he was even finding the positive stuff in that. So just knowing everybody chose to be positive when we didn't know where that campsite was. I'm thinking we took a wrong turn at that point, but just making that choice to have a positive mindset, um, especially like Sam, this is his first time, and um, he, was, he was even positive. So that was just the choice of everybody making the decision to not – let negativity come into that space. So it's good. Yeah. It's good. So, um, yeah, like AJ said, there was trees like down, and I'm a little taller than he is. So for me to crawl under a tree is a little more difficult. I get down there it's a couple times. I literally had to kind of lay on my belly and scoot. Luckily, I was in the back, so nobody really saw that. So, <laughs> you know, but it was, and man, we had these water shoes. And they got holes in the bottom, right? So what happens is some rocks come in them holes. And then every step you take, you feel that rock pushing on their feet. So 
it was a blast because you walk through and it's horrible. And you feel horrible. You're tired. Everything hurts. Like AJ said, our legs are just scratched up. They're nothing but scratches from the uh, brush and everything we walk through. But it's just fun. The whole time you're thinking, this hurts. We know there's a campsite somewhere <laughs> in a few miles. But it's so much fun. And to be joined to another guy that's willing to just go through it with you. You know, you know. listen, we can't turn around because we got to go right back through that whole mess. So you got no choice but to keep going because you ain't giving up because nobody's carrying you out. So good. it was a good time. Well, first things first, I just want to say that I'm thankful, very thankful to be able to, you know, be on that trip with everybody. That wasn't my first time, but it was really cool to be there with, with Marshall and Sam yeah, for the first time. And I don't want to reiterate what everybody said because everybody's kind of saying the same thing. But um, <laughs> through everything, through the water, through the cold, through the rain, um, I think some of us slept in water one of the nights because water got in our tents, which is pretty awful in 30 degree weather. Um, but it was really cool to see everybody have such a positive attitude. Um, and that's kind of a reoccurring thing that we're saying up here. But it, it was really cool to see the joy. Because um, a normal person, probably a non-kingdom person, anybody that went out there, you know, they would say that, you know, let's turn around at the first or second or third thing that we have to pass through. But we just kept going. And uh, I think ended up hiking, what, 13 miles? Uh, almost 14, yeah. 14 miles. And on top of that, you know, our packs range between... 40 and, and 65 pounds so that's a lot of weight on your back to hike that far but we still maintain positive attitude and it was great you know it's great it's great Thank you. so yeah so i mean you you've heard all the things um i've been i've been several times and uh definitely definitely no experience like we had this time for sure like w even like steve and i were we were kind of in the front and we kind of kept saying like man i wonder if some of these guys will ever come again because <laughs> uh, i mean you know we don't know this you don't know the circumstance you know you can have walked a path before but when you left that path and something calls you back to it in your mind it's the same you know and we had done this path once before uh it was Steve, myself, James, and uh, his son, James. And uh, it was amazing. It was a 7, what, 7.2-mile 7 hike into the campsite. Ended up being 7.5 to 7 get to 7.5. So we did it that time, and it was 7.5 of cleared path, you know, maybe ankle to maybe knee-deep water, you know, great weather, no issues, no rain while we were there. And so that was my mindset. I'm thinking, oh, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a difficult hike. You know, we got up, you know, you're going elevation changing pretty regularly, but I, I knew what to expect, or at least I thought I did. <laughs> and so that's where I saw, I don't know that I saw the joy, but I saw what the joy he saw. I saw what Yahweh saw, and, and the fact of these men who work together, and, and you're not, you know, water crossing is the one that was probably more dangerous, so that's the one that sticks out to us all, but it was at every time you hit an obstacle. Somebody's holding this branch out of the way so that everybody else can get through easy, and then the next guy who hits one is holding that branch, or he's lifting a tree, or he's picking a tree up to throw it off so that he had to deal with it, but nobody behind him did. And um, it was just an amazing time and joy, and just to uh, get to know some of these guys you know, more than I, I already did was amazing. That's great, thank you. So what happened there, so what happened is, 
it, there was a great cloud of witnesses present there because there were those that had never gone with me, and I love it. And I've, I go camping, and I love to camp, and the conditions, no matter what they are, they never keep me from going back. Um, at different times, they're all, it's always different, but they never keep me from going back. In fact, I got me a nice little shiner in the... In the, in the um, Hitting a rock, we walking through. Everybody, do that. Oh, that sounded so good. Do that one more time. Okay. And, um, but, uh, but that is, I mean, everybody has these everywhere. And uh, it looked like they put us in a, in a cage with about 30 wild cats and tied our hands behind our backs so we couldn't defend ourselves. And I mean, there's just claw marks and scratches everywhere. And oh, the joy. And now, it, to you, it might not seem that way, but you cannot prepare. And this is why I say that he says, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Lay aside the challenges. Don't see these things as challenges. This is part of your pathway. Don't see it. Lay aside that. And lay aside the sin. Well, you know what sin is? Sin is not obeying the voice of God. Whatever that might be. Sin isn't, you can't quantify sin in the sense of saying sin is just adultery or sin is just uh, fornication or sin is just alcoholism or sin, you know, think of all the different ways. You can't just list sin like that. Sin is disobedience to the voice of God. And it could be sin just to, if, if the Father says, I want you to do this and you don't do it, you just sin. That's sin. And he said, I want you to lay aside the things that are weighty. And I want you to stop. Uh, don't try to do this plan. Don't, don't think that because this isn't the way that you thought it was going to be. Don't think that somehow I'm not in this thing. See and know that there's a cloud of witnesses that have gone before you. And each of these men, as we went down this path, all of them knew because, again, when I'll refer back, and one of the things that they didn't really mention much was about every give or take some feet, every 50 feet, there are down trees. And I mean, it's just a seven and a half mile slog trying to get, and the ground is wet and muddy and the water's high and it's moving so fast, you couldn't cross that water by yourself if you were not joined together. It was taking you down the river. You had to have that anchor in each of those lines. And, and you, there was these, we all were a witness to one another. There is a great campsite at the end of this thing. And we got to one point and I was so exhausted. I literally was exhausted. I said, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay right here by this tree. And you guys go ahead and when you find the campsite, come back and let me know where it is. And then I'll get there. Because I said to the guys, and please don't be offended by what I'm about to say. My shoulders were hurting at that point so bad from carrying my pack. They hurt so bad. I said, if my shoulders could talk, they would be cussing me out. Because they hurt so bad at that point. Did not change the fact that we were going to press through. And then I was just so glad that somebody said, no, the campsite looks like on our map, looks like it's 800 yards up. And then me and Matt walked ahead and we saw that campsite and we were like, hallelujah. And it was there. The joy that was set before us. We got there. I want to tell you this. I want you to hear me. Christ is the example for you and for me. Doesn't matter what his pathway looked like. Doesn't matter what the journey was like. He set aside the way. He didn't consider those things as sacrifices. He didn't consider anything as weighty. He didn't consider these things as difficult. What he considered was, I know where I'm going. 
And my joy, I'm, my joy is complete in getting to that destination because I'm going to bring everyone, I'm pointing at you. He said, I'm going to bring every one of you to a place where you can know salvation, where you can know Christ. So I don't consider any of this weighty. I'm getting you there. He is the example. And then lastly, he is the answer for you. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and though no fruit are on its vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. And yet I will rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Listen and write this down. This is one last thing I want you to write down. Circumstances are not the finish line. They are the journey. Write that down this morning. Your circumstances are not your finish line. You feel like it. But I'm telling you, he came with joy and that's your destination. The things that you're walking in today... That is not the finish line. That is not the joy. If you're wondering, why do I not have this joy? Why am I, why am I not full in this? These circumstances, that is not the finish line. Joy is. Those circumstances are simply the pathway you're taking to get to the place where your joy is full. And your joy is full and complete in Christ. He is the answer. Do you hear me this morning? He is the answer. Let me say it again. He is the answer. You're sitting here, you're watching online today, and you're processing in your mind all of these things, and you're thinking, well, you said I was going to have joy, and you said by the end of this thing I was going to have joy. I'm telling you where joy is. It is moving through the circumstances. Joy is knowing that He is my answer. He is my answer. I'm going, to I'm going to lay aside the weight. I'm going to lay aside the burdens. I'm going to listen to Him. And I am moving into that place that He has promised for me. I want to tell you, there is a joy that is set before you that He wants you to live and dwell in today. In you, every single one of you watching or sitting here before me today, every one of you, you can do it. He is the answer. Turn to the person beside you and say, He is the answer. You need to know that today. Your joy is not complete in you overcoming everything. Your joy is complete in you understanding that He is making a way to overcome. He is making a way. You don't have to figure it out. His path is the one of least resistance. If I keep running into this wall, then I'm just going to move. I'm not going to bang on that wall and tear that wall down and tell that wall, fall. Ah! Start prophesying to it, writing notes about it and putting it on my mirror. I'm not doing that. Because the same people doing that are the ones that say, well, if he builds a wall, there's a window that'll open or whatever, however, whatever that slogan or that cliche is that they say. When one window closes, another window opens. Or one door closes, another door. Those people that say that, they're never going to find their joy. They're never going to find it because they're always trying to bang that door open, kicking it in, trying to kick it in. And the father said, I'm, not, I'm on the other side of this thing and I am holding it shut. Will you please stop kicking this door? Will you please stop kicking this door? You really, it's starting to get annoying. I really want you to just recognize this is not your path. 
Joy is not on the other side of this door. So if you kick that door down, you're going to be more miserable on the other side than you are on that side. Your circumstances are not your pathway. Your circumstances, what they're trying to do, this door that's shut, that circumstances, what it's trying to do is get you pointed in the right direction. So when you get to that door that's shut, just keep moving. Well, but I believe that this is what God's called me to, and it's through this door, and, and I've got to get through that door, and I think He's just testing me, and I think He's... I'm telling you, He's not. I'm telling you, He's not. What kind of father is going to say to his children, I'm going to birth you into the middle of a maze, and I hope you make it. I'm going to set you right into the middle of this thing, and there's only one way to your destiny. But I'm not going to help you get there. I'm just going to put you in the middle of it, and I'm going to hope you make No. I'm a father, and I can tell you I would never do it to my kids, and I'm a son to Almighty God, and I can tell you He has never done that to me. He has never put me in anything and left me without an out, and without showing me the way. What changed isn't Him. What changed is my ability to listen to Him. And as I learned to listen to him and say, Father, okay, I recognize. I really thought it was over there. But it's not. So I'm just going to keep moving and I'm just going to listen to your voice. And the louder I hear your voice, those are the, that's the direction I'm going. Okay, I hear it this way now. Oh, I hear it this way now. Because he's not putting you somewhere. He has not placed you somewhere. He has not put you in a seat somewhere. Without making a way for you. Without much effort. To find joy. My responsibility is to trust Him. My responsibility is to trust God. To repent if I need to repent. Father, forgive me. And that might very well be the opening for you. To know God is to know joy. And to be able to accept and receive the promise of it. Do you hear me today? Yes. Your joy is not complete in all the things you do right. Your joy is complete in trusting Him that He's done it right. He has done right by you by making a way. Move in that way. Stand with me if you would please this morning.